Hello and welcome to this episode of the Oasis Church podcast, featuring a talk from Bringing Life, our series exploring the story of Joseph in the Old Testament. Together, we see how Joseph is someone who brings life to those around him, even in some tough situations. How his story points forward to Jesus, the ultimate life bringer, and how the invitation for each of us is to be those who bring life in whatever circumstances we find ourselves. Ready? Here we go. The reading today is taken from Genesis chapter 37 verses 12 to 28 and chapter 39 verses 1 to 6. Soon after this, Joseph's brothers went to pasture their father's flocks at Shechem. When they'd been gone for some time, Jacob said to Joseph, Your brothers are pasturing the sheep at Shechem. Get ready and I will send you to them. I am ready to go, Joseph replied. Go and see how your brothers and the flocks are getting along, Jacob said, and come back and bring me a report. So Jacob sent him on his way, and Joseph travelled to Shechem from their home in the valley of Hebron. When he arrived there, a man from the area noticed him wandering around the countryside. What are you looking for? he asked. I'm looking for my brothers, Joseph replied. Do you know where they are pasturing their sheep? Yes, the man told him. They've moved on from here, but I heard them say, let's go on to Dothan. So Joseph followed his brothers to Dothan and found them there. When Joseph's brothers saw him coming, they recognised him in the distance. As he approached, they made plans to kill him. Here comes the dreamer, they said. Come on, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns. We can tell our father a wild animal has eaten him. Then we'll see what becomes of his dreams. But when Reuben heard of their scheme, he came to Joseph's rescue. Let's not kill him, he said. Why should we shed any blood? Let's just throw him into this empty cistern here in the wilderness. Then he'll die without our laying a hand on him. Reuben was secretly planning to rescue Joseph and return him to his father. So when Joseph arrived, his brothers ripped off the beautiful robe he was wearing. Then they grabbed him and threw him into the cistern. Now the cistern was empty. There was no water in it. Then just as they were sitting down to eat, they looked up and saw a caravan of camels in the distance coming toward them. It was a group of Ishmaelite traders taking a load of gum, balm and aromatic resin from Gilead down to Egypt. Judah said to his brothers, What would we gain by killing our brother? We'd have to cover up the crime. Instead of hurting him, let's sell him to those Ishmaelite traders. After all, he's our brother, our own flesh and blood. And his brothers agreed. So when the Ishmaelites, who were Midianite traders, came by, Joseph's brothers pulled him out of the cistern and sold him to them for 20 pieces of silver. The traders took him to Egypt. When Joseph was taken to Egypt by the Ishmaelite traders, he was purchased by Potiphar, an Egyptian officer. Potiphar was captain of the guard for Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. The Lord was with Joseph, so he succeeded in everything he did as he served in the home of his Egyptian master. Potiphar noticed this and realised that the Lord was with Joseph, giving him success in everything he did. This pleased Potiphar, so he soon made Joseph his personal attendant. He put him in charge of his entire household and everything he owned. From the day Joseph was put in charge of his master's household and property, the Lord began to bless Potiphar's household for Joseph's sake. All his household affairs ran smoothly and his crops and livestock flourished. 
So Potiphar gave Joseph complete administrative responsibility over everything he owned. With Joseph there, he didn't worry about a thing, except what kind of food to eat. Hello friends, it is so, so good uh, to be with you again. And uh, thank you so much, Mel, for reading uh, that part of the story of Joseph so, so well. And my hope is, as we zoom in on this part of the story, what we're going to discover is that it speaks again into the reality of the stories that you and I are living with at the moment, our stories. And that into that reality that God wants to bring life. Bring life into our stories in order we be those that then bring life into others. See, from the heights of what Rich looked at last week, if you were around last Sunday, you'd have seen him so eloquently describe the way that Joseph had been given this dream that spelled out this promise that God was making to him of who he was going to be and what he was going to do. And from those heights, we suddenly find ourselves in terms of this part of the story that it kind of is as though we've kind of been on a roller coaster ride and have got to the high bit at the very beginning and we kind of survey the whole of the land. And then we suddenly think, oh no, the cart's about to spear downwards. And we find ourselves clinging on for dear life as the roller coaster ride continues spinning upside down and round and round from various twists and turns. And that's kind of what happens in the story of Joseph that we get from that height of this promise made from God to Joseph through these dreams to suddenly like plummeting on this roller coaster of what ride with many twists and turns where we discover along the way that it's God uses those twists and turns to continue to reveal how he's going to bring about this promise that he's made to Joseph. You see, in this part of the story, we start off with Joseph kind of going out on an errand for his dad And by the end, we discover that he's then now a slave in Egypt, prospering the household that he lives in. See, I want us to see through this story that actually it wants to speak into our reality. And we will get there by the end. It's actually something that's kind of come up already in the chat through different scriptures that people have shared, through different um, words and prayers that people have spoken. And it's all about the word with I want to see the power of that word with and how it speaks into our situation now. But before we get there, I want us to just go through this story. I want to zoom in and where we zoom in firstly is in a sudden change. You see, Joseph sets out on this errand by his father and To be honest, the story kind of begins quite slowly. It's quite a slow kind of back and forth of his dad saying, where are your brothers? And Joseph saying, I'll go and see my brothers. And then his dad saying, well, why don't you go and see your brothers? And Joseph saying, okay, I'll go and see my brothers. And then he kind of treks around. They reckon it was around like 50 miles that he kind of treks to find them. They're not there. Bumps into a stranger who says, oh, they're a further 12 or so miles away. And so they kind of go out towards there. And it's kind of like this slow build-up. And it's a slow build-up in order that we get to verse 20. And then there's this sudden change of circumstances. We find that Joseph kind of is taken from this point of um, being like the chosen one, part of a family, loved by his dad, 
to a point of being stripped of honor, being rejected by his brothers and thrown away into slavery. See, in verse 20, we find this sudden kind of change happens through these kind of words that are there to kind of cause us to realize that this is something that's happening suddenly. So we find him grabbed and stripped and thrown into a cistern and then sold into slavery. Like the, the storytellers wanting us to know, like, like change like this happens suddenly. Like suddenly we can feel like everything's going all right and then suddenly it's as though the world like kind of kind of empties from beneath us, opens up, and we find ourselves falling, thinking, what on earth is going on here? Like, doesn't that, like, describe the last 10 months? Like, for each of us, we've just known that sense of, like, a sudden change, of, like, circumstances around us, like, not being what we thought they would be, that we're suddenly left with this deep sense of uncertainty, a, a kind of sense of, like, our liberties being taken away, rightly so, in order that it will protect others, but still they're gone. And we find ourselves, like, not just with one moment of change, but living with these sudden moments, often, of just change going on. And you see, that sudden change has an impact, has an impact on our lives, had an impact on Joseph's life. See, the brothers who caused this sudden change did it with something in mind. And I think as we see what they had in mind, I think it helps us articulate sometimes of what that sudden change does in us. You find it in verse 20, where we discover that the brothers say, let's get rid of Joseph in order that we can kill his dreams. That's what they want to do. They want to kill the dreams that he's spoken of. These dreams that he's spoken to his brother, saying, hey, there's going to be one day where actually you'll bow before me. They say, "Let's, let's get rid of Joseph in order that we can get rid of those dreams. You see, what happens though? is the dreams aren't killed. Actually, God uses these moments that we're going to discover through the story to reframe the dreams, to reframe the promises that he'd spoken to Joseph. Actually, the dreams were never about Joseph being at the center. Rather, they're about God using Joseph to bring life to all around. See, rather than killing the dreams, God uses these moments of like sudden change of circumstances to reframe the dreams in order that he'd bring about all that he'd promised to Joseph. So I think for many of us, this moment where it feels like we're locked down has felt like it's like suffocating us. It's kind of stripping us of like what we're wanting to be and who we're meant to be. And if we're not careful, it feels like our dreams are dying. It's like killing our dreams. Killing our dreams of what we believe God had called us to, what we believe God wants from us, what we believe that we were meant to be doing with God. But in the same way as with Joseph, I believe that God wants us to know, no, he's one who is reframing the dreams. God hasn't abandoned us. He hasn't given up on us. God is still wanting to work in and through us. God is still wanting to meet with us. 
See, the danger of this lockdown moment is it becomes one where it locks us in. Where it feels like we're being suffocated. Where it feels like, no, surely the way forward is to, is to hunker down, to, to bunker in, to isolate, to just survive. And yet I believe God wants to come in and bring fresh perspective to you and I as was going on with Joseph and say, no, the dreams aren't dying. They're just being reframed. The God is longing to come and bring life to you and to me in this moment in order that he'd call, we'd be understanding that he's still calling us to be those in the life that we know get to bring life to others around. But like, how do we do that then? How do we get that perspective? Because sometimes it can just feel like it's isolating. That the lockdown moment, you suddenly think, well, I don't know how I can get around this. It just feels suffocating. I feel like I'm just doing what I can to survive. I believe as we look again on the story of Joseph, we discover something of how that perspective can change, how in the sudden change we're living in, in the feeling like the dreams are dying, that actually there's perspective we find that Joseph had and was given that brings life in order that he can bring life. You see, if we zoom in on Joseph, what we find is that it doesn't really talk about how he felt. Like, it doesn't say, like, as he's, like, walking uh, with, his, with his slave owners to Egypt to be bought by a different person that he's, like, contemplating life and feeling that deep sense of rejection. No, we don't have any of that in the narrative. What we find is, like, he ends up in Potiphar's house, and then we find that he is thriving. Like, taking on responsibility is given more responsibility as he thrives in the responsibilities given. And we find this moment where he's causing the whole of Potiphar's household to prosper. Like, humanly, we can look in and think, well, is this then the goal? Is this like the guy who's like the king of resilience? Now, that's a word that we hear a lot, isn't it? Like, are you resilient enough? And we think, well, man, Joseph like, seems to be like the utter kind of dawn king of resilience. Like he goes from a place of being like rejected and despised and sold into slavery and turning that onto his, his kind of head and being a place where he's prospering. Like surely he's like unbelievably resilient. I don't think that's what we're going to get from the story. See, I think the key is what we find in chapter 39, verse 2. Where it zooms in and it just simply says this. It says, the Lord was with Joseph. The Lord was with Joseph. See, Joseph finds himself in this foreign country owned by someone else, stripped of all of his dignity, stripped of all of his authority. And yet in that place, he discovers he's not alone. He's not alone. And that reality that he is not alone is revealed in that statement that there is one who is with him. One who is with him that changes everything for him in order that he can be one that changes everything for those around him. Like for Joseph, that's what brings him life. This reality that the Lord is with him. 
It brings him life to know that he's not alone. He's not forgotten. God is still with him. God still loves him. God is still longing to work through him. And what that causes Joseph to do is to then live with that life that he's been brought by God to be one that seeks to then bring that life to others. So he causes Potiphar's house to prosper as he realizes God is with him in order that he would know life to then bring life. See, I believe the reality is this. It's already come through in our gathered time together. It's come through the chat. And I love it when God orchestrates these moments where you're just like, well, this is where I got to, thinking this is what I believe God wants to say to us today. And, and God gets ahead of you. It's like through other people saying, yeah, listen to this, listen to this. What is it? It's that God is with us. That Jesus is with you. And Jesus is with me. That just as for Joseph, that he knew God with him, that God is wanting us to know that he's with us too. You see, Joseph always points us to Jesus. Why? Because Jesus is the greater Joseph. See, Jesus is one who was like abandoned, one who was rejected, one who was kind of sold out, one who was then killed in order that through his resurrected life, he could offer anyone and everyone that deep sense of acceptance, the deep reality to know that he'll never leave us or forsake us, that not even death itself can part us from him. We're forever now encompassed in his love. Like, it's why we started off. Like, Gene didn't know what I was going to speak about today. It's why it's so amazing, isn't it? We start off with Romans 8. Nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. Like, that's the reality because of what Jesus did through his life, death, and resurrection to promise you and I that there is nothing now that can separate us from, us, from him. And therefore, you and I get to know in this moment that Jesus is with us. See, when Jesus kind of leaves the planet to go and be back with the Father, promising he's going to return, he has this statement, which has already been shared in the chat uh, by Mike Blaber, he, which I want us to pick up on again, where he says in Matthew chapter 28, he promises this to his followers, saying, look, remember this until I return. This is your purpose, and now I'm going to be with you. So he says, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very ends of the age. Jesus says, I'm with you. I'm with you in a pandemic. I'm with you in those moments where it feels like life is falling on top of you. I mean, like those moments where it feels like you're at the top of the mountain surveying everything and everything is good. I am with you to the very ends of the age. Like Jesus speaks to you where you are, speaks to me here where I am and says, I am with you to bring you life. 
to bring us that deep sense of life, his resurrection life that causes us to know that we are unconditionally loved and accepted, causes us to know that our lives now are characterized by his goodness in order that as we taste and see more of that life that he offers us, it causes us to live more with that deep sense of wholeness, of peace that leads us to joy. Like Jesus is with you in your home now, longing to breathe life into you. Longing for you to know his unconditional love and goodness. Longing for you to know his peace, his joy. That's what he's longing for me to know. And in it, he comes and promises to be with us in order that not only would we know that life, but also we'd be those that then reveal that life, share that life with others, bring that life to others. That's why he says, like, now go. Go and make disciples. Go and be those who share the life that you've known with others in order that they taste and see how good this life is to receive it for themselves. Like even in this lockdown moment, it becomes a moment where we get to, yes, know Jesus is with us to receive the life that he offers in order that we can then share the life he offers. Share the life with, by our words that we speak, by the actions that we take. Jesus has come to liberate us today. He's come to liberate us to remind us that he is with us. I want to invite you to hear afresh with. And the power of that word that promises that you and I are not alone. I want to invite us this coming week to live knowing that we're not alone, that Jesus is with us by his Holy Spirit. And that he is longing in being with us to bring us life in order that we be those that get to bring life. Like we get to be those that daily remember that Jesus is with us. And that as we remember that Jesus is with us, we get to welcome him, receive him afresh of the life that he offers us in order that we know we then get to bring that life to others. In a moment, we're going to kind of hand back to the band. We're going to lead us in a song of response. But before we do, I just want to pray for us. So just where you are, why don't you just close your eyes? Just so you don't get distracted by like other things that are going on. And just with your eyes closed, I just want to pray for you. Jesus, I thank you that you promise that you are with us. And I want to pray that in this moment, that that reality would ignite deep within our hearts. I pray where the sudden changes of circumstances can cause us to feel like dreams are dying, that we're being suffocated, closed in, that kind of make us feel like we need to isolate or bunker down. I pray rather, Jesus, that you'd remind us, no, you're with us, and that changes everything that you're with us to bring and breathe your life into us. And I pray, God, as we breathe again of your resurrected life into us, 
we be those who then share that life, bring that life to those around us, those we get to speak to, those we get to act towards, that we get to bring the wonderful life of you, Jesus, to them. So I pray, Jesus, change our perspective. We're not alone. You are with us. Amen. Amen.